0: Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to Scattered. Today we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. So this book is written by Paul while he's in prison. Um, He's heard about... Some false teaching in Colossae, and he's writing this letter to address that false teaching. Did any of you guys find anything on how we could structure this week's passage? Yes, but I feel like I
2: always start this one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's quite. I've got something to say
0: after you've done it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna undermine you, whatever you say. So you go, but I've got something to say. It'll be be, be better after you've said something. Well, how do you know what I'm gonna say? Well, I don't know what you're going to say, but if you've got, if you're going to say the same thing as me, then I'll let you have the glory. (laughs) I was going to say,
2: no matter what you say, I'm going to undermine you. (laughs) Well, one way that you could structure it were you to choose to structure it is looking at um, the false teaching and how that thread flows throughout this little section 16 to 23. So looking at the warnings, what they are, what the false teaching is based on. And you can look at um, verses 20 and 22 for that. What the result of the false teaching is, verses 18 and 23. And then what the answer is, which comes, I mean, it's clear throughout, isn't it? It actually starts at the beginning. Therefore, that gives you the answer from the beginning. But um, the answer is primarily found in verse 19. So you can split it like that. Now undermine me, Gillian
0: controversial but I guess I would have just said the whole paragraph it's basically one paragraph isn't it that is just like a deadening blow to legalism and what a killer it is to faith in Jesus so I guess in some ways I totally concede that those are good divisions but I just think the whole thing stands together doesn't it as a brilliant paragraph undermining legalism in all its various forms Sorry, listeners, I'm struggling to speak because Mary's just singing away in her own little head to a song from Encanto. So it's quite hard to hold a thread. But yeah, that would be my hunch. The whole um, paragraph stands as a blow to legalism.
1: That's really helpful. Thanks. So what can we see from this passage um, the false teaching looks like?
3: Yeah, I think we get to the crux of the matter here, don't we? I think it's uh, obvious from straight from verse 16 do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival a new moon celebration or a sabbath day so these things are things that people would do in order to gain favor with god i guess post post christ that would be i mean pre-christ these were ways of following God's law weren't they but post-Christ there's definitely more you know it's about faith in what Jesus has done like it says in verse 17 these are a shadow of the things that were to come the reality however is found in Christ so like legalism I guess the danger in legalism is that we add on to what Jesus has done like we try and do things to make us more forgiven you know to to add on to our salvation and yeah that is is so dangerous isn't it
2: it's interesting isn't it in verse 20 where paul writes um if with christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations is in why why whilst enjoying the benefits of christ's victory which is what the therefore at the beginning of verse 16 relates to You know, therefore, because Christ has this victory over all the forces of this world, why are you putting your why why would you put yourself under the control of those powers which he's already conquered? Why would you why would you put yourselves under the control of food and laws and this need to, for example, um, this need to have these visions that they talk about later in verse 18 why are you putting yourselves under those that control when Christ has already defeated it
3: yeah last week Helen you were saying weren't you that verse 8 has this essence of being taken captive like being stolen from your freedom almost like stolen like in Jesus we are full and we are free and yet there's this this essence of, if you, I mean, I was struck in this passage in verse 16, it says, do not let anyone judge you. And in verse 18 as well, do not let anyone. um, And verse uh, 20 as well, it says uh, do you submit to its rules? So there is, there's, there's two, there's always, when we are taken captive by these things, there's always two parts to it, isn't there? There's kind of the presentation of these ideas, but then also we do, you know enter into them ourselves and it is yeah it's just so dangerous isn't it because they seem so attractive and so exciting and in some ways they make sense and yet they're so dangerous for our souls because like you were saying they if we've died with Christ then they shouldn't affect us anymore.
0: I guess I agree Mary that second part of it our, I guess our natural personalities are probably drawn to one or other of these forms of legalism isn't it and it's knowing ourselves isn't it and what it is that we're tempted to add and i guess the root of that is just how hard it is to receive the gift of grace isn't it we we it's so mm. difficult for our human nature to receive a gift without wanting to contribute and i guess all these different ways of legalism expressing itself or us wanting. Oh, but I can do I can throw something in Jesus rather than mm. that accepting it as pure gift.
1: And a lot of those things come from stem from like our heart motivation of trying to wipe over our own guilt. I guess in verse 20, um, if with Christ you died to these elemental spirits, why as if you were still alive? It's almost like you don't you haven't appreciated that truth. Um, which we looked at last week, that actually all our sins have been cancelled and taken away and nailed to the cross, and that we've forgotten those things and are continuing to heap guilt on ourselves, I guess. And And then the flip side of that is if we set the rules to be much lower and easier to fulfill, then we can feel proud that oh, look how well I've done. I've been able to keep all these rules. I've been able to do all these religious festivals and kept the Sabbath. And actually that can puff up, like it says in verse 18.
2: We need to be clear, don't we, about what legalism is. It's self-reliance, self-assertion, and it's, it's man reaching up to God or trying to reach up to God trying to justify himself or themselves by keeping a list of rules. But the reality is that Christianity and the gospel and grace is God reaching down to man through Jesus. Legalism is exactly the opposite. And yet our hearts are so drawn to it because it, it, it's attractive, isn't it? It's attractive to feel like you can earn your way in because then, you know, I'm good enough to do this when the reality is very different yeah
3: I was challenged this week to think about because in the context here right they are being tempted to take part in religious festivals new moon celebrations sabbath days or you know do things like the worship of angels and then later on things to do with um, asceticism so abstaining from things in order to be more holy I was challenged to think how is that relevant now? And in our context, how are we tempted to do these things? I was wondering about, especially in the context where I live here, I find actually this time of year, like fasting for Lent uh, is a big thing, like actually fasting for the whole of Lent. Um, And that becomes a really big, I think, source of temptation for Christians here to, to feel good about that. And I've definitely felt pressure, like an expectation that I would be doing that as well. And I've really had to think about these things. Like I'm free in Christ and it's not about how I appear to be a Christian, but really what's going on in my heart. I don't know what you guys thought, thought about it sort of contextually
0: in your situations. I guess the first two I found actually different types of churches in the UK There's a sense in which you can have a quite ritualistic church attendance where if we say the Lord's Prayer every week, if we take communion, then we're okay. And actually your confidence and your faith is in those rituals. Is it a good thing to say the Lord's Prayer? Yeah, of course it is. Is it a good thing to take communion? Yes, but that's, you know, those things can be twisted, can't they? And become the center of your faith rather than Jesus. But then the second bit about, the worship of angels and visions and puffed up by your sensuous mind. I think there's another type of church that can fall into a different danger of, you have to have a certain emotional experience on a Sunday morning in order to have met with God. And I think the, the, these first two dangers are so helpful, aren't they? Because we can fall off either side of that donkey. And depending on our characters, one of those might be more attractive than the other, but Paul's really great at saying, neither of those are what it is to rest in christ mm.
2: yeah because legalism also says doesn't it that there are specific requirements of conduct beyond the teaching of the gospel in order to gain qualification for entry into god's church into the body <coughs> um whereas this whole passage just or this whole letter in fact says jesus is the only entry requirement you know i As I was looking at this, um, I was reminded of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. I'm just going to read it. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Like, why do we, you know, our legalism, our desire for, um, you know, to add things on, to, to do stuff, to make ourselves... Uh, feel like we're earning our salvation or if we turn you know we feel self-righteous like oh we've done this thing so we feel closer to god or even with the this legalistic um asceticism none of that (laughs) none of that can ever lead us to the fullness of christ christ can only lead us to the fullness of what's in the gospel when I was
3: looking into this, I read this thing that John Piper had written to his church. I think he'd actually preached it because they were considering at the time the fact that to become a member of their church, you had to abstain from alcohol. And he quoted his a letter that his dad wrote to him about this stuff. Um, and it talks about legalism is, is a more dangerous disease than alcoholism because it doesn't look like one. So, you know, saying to your members, okay, to become a member, you need to completely stop drinking alcohol. And then, you know, you won't be tempted by it anymore and blah, 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 and so on. That tempts people, therefore, to become legalists who are like, oh, yeah, we don't drink, we don't drink alcohol. I found it really helpful thinking on a practical note, I think, you know, it's good that we don't drink too much alcohol. The Bible says, doesn't it? Don't become drunk on wine and that's a good thing because you know you lose control you do things you wouldn't do but then completely going the other way and saying i'm not going to drink it at all it's so it can be so easily suddenly become a source of pride yeah i don't drink
2: yeah i think yeah, paul and- paul always wants to do away with stuff that enters your faith right he or oh, and whether that is a rule i don't drink alcohol that's promoting self-reliance um Or a false humility, like, oh, no, I'm not going to volunteer for anything because otherwise I'll look like I'm putting myself forward. I should just stand in the background again. Or like people, you know, you become annoyed by people who put themselves forward for stuff all the time. I would never do that because I'm so humble. And even that is promoting self-reliance. I think the, the thing that I took from that sermon that John Piper did was this line, God hates legalism more than he hates alcoholism. When I close my eyes at night, I see 10 million more people Mm. in hell because of legalism than because of alcoholism. And that Mm. really struck me because I often think, oh, well, that person doesn't read their Bible every day. So, you know, therefore, they're not they're not in my club. I think that sort of subconsciously, you know, that's where I was challenged.
0: I guess verse 23 is a really good summary of that point isn't it that all these things not drinking alcohol or um being in a club where you read the bible every day have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh which often is pride and so the more we tick things off a list that we're doing more that feeds our pride doesn't it and stops us receiving humbly the gift of god's grace and i think yeah piper did a great job of sort of dealing with that heart issue that the more things we add to a list that we have to do the more danger we are of um self-made religion and not receiving the gospel
3: And that's not to say that you know giving up alcohol or giving up things is in itself a bad thing and actually quietly doing that sometimes is something that is really good for our faith and really um helpful in our walk with god but yeah it's something about isn't it the kind of more public aspect of it like being able to say that or being appearing to do something in front of other people I mean, obviously it's the quiet attitude of the heart in it before God. But if you really are doing these things, because you know that when you have one drink, that's it. And you can't stop. If you know that you're kind that kind of, you know, addicted, then yeah, it's great to completely stop, but it's not a rule, is it? It's
0: not. What and I guess all, it's not know, the basis for which we come before God, is it? To say, mm-hmm. I'm, I've done this God, so you must bless me. I just think that's yeah. That's such a subtle, creeping lie, isn't it? When we are doing good things for God, um, that we're coming to him with those things rather than doing those out of gratitude. Yeah.
1: In verses 16 and 18, it's, do not let anyone judge you. Do not let anyone disqualify you. It's seeing those as really core things, isn't it? That make us right with God rather than actually all that christ has done for us and um, mm. it's holding good things and making them
0: into the main thing i guess and i guess we've mm. got to be really careful haven't we in our churches that church culture can be co- whatever our church culture is that can add things to the gospel can't it and people are in danger of conforming to church culture to fit in rather than mm. just receiving the gift of grace
2: Yeah, because that when, you know, in this little, the beginning of this chapter, in that verse, in verse 21, where Paul's quoting, you know, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. It's actually really disempowering, isn't it? It's putting you under the power of whether or not you do something rather than the power of Christ. You know, and I know in chapter three, he goes on, Paul goes on to tell us what we should be doing. But I think the whole, this whole paragraph can be summed up by saying what we seek to avoid doesn't really matter if we are clear on whom we are pursuing.
3: Yeah, because I think it's striking, isn't it, that verse 23 says, they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So even when we abstain from things, um, even when we do all these things to try and deal with a, with a sin problem, it, it's, it's a heart thing, isn't it? It's, it's, it's dealing with the heart stuff that's underneath that action. That is the real hard and worthwhile work. And sometimes just just abstaining from that thing. I find that with dieting or coming off sugar and things like that, I find that it's actually easier for me to completely eat no sugar than to eat a little bit. Um, You know, it's my attitude of greed that's underneath the desire to eat sugar or eat too many curries or whatever, like I struggle with the kind of greed that's underneath it and and then as soon as I can eat those things again, I find myself really kind of splurging because the desire to eat is is
2: you know and to overeat and be greedy is still there and Paul's really clear on that isn't he because he said these have indeed an appearance of wisdom it made me think of that part of um mark chapter 7 I think where Jesus says you know it's not what goes into a person that defiles them but what Mm. comes out of them and that outward appearance sums up it it is like a veneer when you're when you're legalist or you're you're an aestheticist or whatever it's that that goodness appearance is just a veneer and actually if you tap on that hard enough it cracks and the, and the sin that is in your heart or that is flowing through your body just seeps out.
3: Reminds me of the story of Charles Spurgeon and apparently someone um, that he knew claimed to be without sin. Um, and so I think it was at some meal they were at. He went up behind them and poured a cup of milk over that person's head. And then in, in that guy's reaction, uh, angry reaction, I think Charles Spurgeon was like, you know, so how's the sinlessness going (laughs) I can't remember what he said but it you know it's it's so easy isn't it to say I don't do this I don't do this I don't do this but really yes what's inside that just comes out when we are under stress or tired I find with tiredness um, and things like that like that's what's really in there right
0: I'd love to have Spurgeon as a regular dinner guest. That would be quite exciting, wouldn't it? I
3: have to find what that story actually is. I feel like maybe it wasn't milk. I I feel like milks
0: are pretty brutal.
3: (laughs) I love it. I just think I would have loved to,
2: yeah, be alive at that point. He sounds amazing. It's really important to talk about legalism isn't it and and to challenge ourselves and to be shocked at our propensity for legalism like I was shocked at myself as I was reading this thinking about even just within my language school that I'm at my reaction to people because it's a very broad set of people who are there broad theological views and just my reaction to their different views you know it's really important isn't it that we do what verse 19 says that we hold fast to the head because actually Jesus is 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 the glue is the head is the thing that holds from which everything else grows and like you said like we said i think last week you know some people are a, an eye some people are a hand some people are a leg but we are still one body and if we are holding to the same head then we are the same body um, it doesn't just because you're an arm doesn't mean that you're disqualified from being a part of the body. And I was shocked at myself at how quickly, how quick I was to feel like I could disqualify people because of their different views. Even though, like verse 19 says, you know, the important thing is holding fast to the head. And that's how we can avoid this legalism or, you know, this legalistic rituals, these false form of worships or this legalistic false humility is by holding to the head
0: i found that mm-hmm. you know we we skirted on this last week but that picture at the end of the passage last week verse 15 is like the victory parade of jesus isn't it when he's conquered and he and behind him in the parade are all the conquered foes and they're bound and they've got no weapons and they're useless and i just found that a really helpful picture thinking of ritualism or diet fads or all the different forms of legalism or emotionalism they're in that parade aren't they and life is only found in jesus the conquering hero who's at the head of the parade and all these other things have been totally disarmed by jesus and they're of no value to us and yet our hearts still tend to go back don't they and look for life in the conquered disarmed um yeah foes and and i guess that was helpful for me to think these things, these forms of legalism are foes, aren't they? They're enemies of um, the life that's found in Jesus.
3: Last week, we majored, didn't we, on us being full in him, like he is full. I think Paul has been careful to present his writing in this way to kind of, in Colossians, start with the supremacy of Jesus, and then what that means for us so he is especially verse 9 of chapter 2 for in christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and in christ you have been brought to fullness and so kind of reminding of us of that just before we move on to this bit where even though we are full we kind of crave more um i think it's really good isn't it that he's he's reminding us you are full and free so live like you're full and free mm. i kind of run in my heart so often towards wanting more whether that's some kind of experience like we were talking before or whether that's some kind of higher level of holiness or some kind of higher level of looking better than other christians and yet just being reminded again you are full and he has done it all, and he has triumphed. So you don't need to enter into that arena at all. Like, get out of there.
1: <laughs> and another temptation that the church in uh, Colossae had was um, the worship of angels, wasn't it, In going to depths about visions. And that fullness of uh, deity in Christ speaks against that, doesn't it? Um, why are you looking at angels when you have this fullness in Christ the one who is supreme over all creation who created the angels even why were you focusing on um, created things rather than on the creator and on the one that's made you even yeah it's helpful having him as our head and being reminded that you know, all these different things that um, we might do. um, Like right now we're in Lent, you know, keeping some Lent devotions at Lent or practicing fasting or whatever other things people might be doing. It's whether we're doing it um, with the aim to bring glory to Christ or whether we're doing it with the aim to bring ourselves glory
0: yeah and i guess juliet the problem with when that motive's wrong is it either leads us to pride or despair doesn't it because if our confidence is in those things when we fail we then feel despair or if we are successful in it it feeds our pride so either way the um the fruit of it is really negative isn't it
3: yeah and i guess that's when i was trying to think of how can we catch ourselves how can we even notice when we are kind of swinging to one end of that, you know, either end of that spectrum or when we see, you know, our spouse or children or friends swinging from one end of that spectrum, I guess it, it manifests itself in those two things, doesn't it? Like either someone who is proud in, in some various ways of things they're doing or someone who's really struggling with, yeah, despair over their Lack of being able to do those things and looking for that in our own hearts and also helping others in that is, I guess, one thing we can do.
0: Yeah, those emotions are really good triggers for us, aren't they? To see, oh, what's the problem here? Why am I feeling those things? Yeah, mm. and I guess like dwelling,
3: like we talked about last week, really dwelling in passages, uh, like. Um, verses 13 to 15 of chapter 2 or that bit about the supremacy of Jesus from chapter 1 verse 15 like really dwelling there I think that's what Paul wants us to do in Colossians I think he spends such a long time before this passage talking about those things because really we need to fill ourselves up with these things and not dwell too much on okay I mustn't be an ascetic and I mustn't be a legalistic a legalistic person and I mustn't do this. He's like, no, no, no. Turn your eyes on Jesus, look full in his face. That's what's important. That's where you're going. That's where you're heading for. And if you really focus on him and focus your life on him, then you won't do those things. It's almost tempting in trying to combat these things that we then begin doing them. <laughs> Which is why we need to be reminded of this quite often, don't we?
1: <laughs>
3: Every <laughs> <Yeah>. day. <laughs> Did anyone have anything else that they were challenged by? We've had some friends staying with us recently who were just so wonderful and wise. And I think this is a bit relevant to um, what we're talking about today. One of them was telling me about how we get it all wrong sometimes and how we often find our worth in how we are achieving or what we are achieving in our lives, in our days, in our children, in our work. Um, And we almost... Yeah, there's there's like a cycle of, okay, I feel like I'm achieving well in this, so I feel worth and therefore um, I feel happy. But then when we start not achieving in that thing, um, we start feeling unworthy and like we can't contribute and then we feel sad. And it's actually trying to do that cycle the other way around is what really helps us to not feel those things and to, you know, when we are feeling those emotions of failure or, you know, pride, I guess it's going the other way around and being like, I need to find my worth first in Christ. Like that's my identity. That's who I am. And then anything that comes out of that, you know, it's you're kind of cushioned from that
2: by finding your worth in Christ first.
3: Yeah. That's really helpful.
2: One of the, so when I'm in this kind of situation, when I'm feeling like my worth yeah, that I've centred my worth around the wrong thing. I use this song, um, my worth is not in what I own by the Gettys. Um, mm-hmm. Like a couple of the lines, you know, my worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, or uh, my worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame. And each verse ends with, but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. It's just mm-hmm. such a helpful um, song to help me recenter. center what is it that gives me worth what is it that gives me value it's not these things that I do it's mm. it's Christ Christ mm. is the one who gave me value by by dying on the cross for me
0: yeah I've been reading a book recently um which somebody gave me years ago called liberating ministry from the success syndrome and it's that whole idea of when things are going well and then therefore our ministry is successful we feel great but actually that's not the place to fight to feel great is it and so yeah it's really similar to what you were saying Mary that idea of faithfulness and trusting Jesus <laughs> is where our worth's found and because that's the thing that doesn't change doesn't it our circumstances and our ministries change all the time and go up and down.
1: I found this quote really helpful just uh, to summarise Um, This last section, the answer to legalism is the continued realization of the grace of Christ. Uh, The answer to mystics is an understanding of how profoundly we are related to Christ. The answer to asceticism is the reckoning that we have been dead, buried, and are now resurrected with Christ.
0: Mm. And... Amen.
1: Leave you with that guys.
0: <laughs> Thanks. That was helpful.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, we'll continue with chapter three next week. Um, thank you for joining us. Bye. Bye. Bye.